Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. to start a Father's Day message right there. Notice, just want you to notice, zero country. I got a text from my mom, you know, she watches the first service, and I said the same thing in the first service. She says, I hate country too. I raised you right. So, (laughs) hey, hey, listen, it's Father's Day, and so we're going to jam out to 80s rock in church. Amen. Amen. Wasn't that great? Give it up for the worship team. Then they do a great job. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. And I also just want to give it up for my beautiful bride. I love my wife. She's wonderful. We don't get to be in church together that often. And so today is one of few weekends of the year that we get to hang out together. And then my two daughters are here with me today too. So we'll talk about y'all in a little bit. Isn't it great? And all the dads, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Look at somebody and say, man, it's a great Father's Day. It's a great Father's Day. I picked that song, Sweet Child of Mine, because that's the song that my son and I used to play, Guitar Hero together. And that was my favorite one to do. Um, Today, I want to talk about all fathers matter. All fathers matter. I want to speak specifically to the dads, the fathers, but also the men of the house. This weekend, we had a tremendous time at our lodge. I think I threw up some pictures. We had a father uh, kid camp out at our lodge. It was amazing. Almost 200 dads showed up and camped all over our property. It was fantastic. Pastor Aaron, thank you, Pastor Aaron, for putting it together. And Pastor Matt, um, who actually lost his voice. He screamed so much Friday and Saturday. He's supposed to preach today. I don't know if he did or not. I haven't heard whether he did or not. But uh, he was supposed to preach today. He was so excited to preach, and then he lost his voice. And so we had to call in a pinch hitter, Olin Carter. So... uh, So Olin Carter did it. Um, Speaking of baseball references, uh, one of the most important parts of the baseball team is the leadoff hitter, the leadoff hitter. Their job is to get on base. Their job is to get in scoring, whatever way, get in scoring position, whether they get hit by, they need to take one for the team, they need to take a couple pitches. They're typically not the strongest players on the team, meaning that they don't hit the home run often, but they know how to get on base. The thing that I, I like about leadoff hitters is the fact that they're the ones that face the opponent first. Dads, you're the leadoff hitters in our culture right now. You're the one, ones that God has called to face the opponent 
first. We have an enemy who wants to take down our nation, who wants to take down the church, and we as the fathers are meant to stand off. We're, we're to be the lead-off hitters. Men, fathers, you're the leaders in this generation. For such a time as this, God has put you on this planet. Your influence is strong. Your influence is needed. Your influence is commanded by God. I want you to understand this. What walks in the father runs in the family. And we need to make sure that we're adopting and promoting the right things. I love what David, King David said in 2 Kings chapter, I'm sorry, yeah, 1 Kings chapter 2. 1 Kings chapter 2. He's getting ready to die, and he's talking to his son, Solomon. And here's what he says. I want you to hear this. By the way, dads, take some notes, write some things down. I know you think you're going to remember, but you're not. Okay, you, you barely remember who your kids are. So um, just being honest, just being honest, I forget them all the time. Uh, sometimes on purpose. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. Write some things down. I'm going to help you today. Lay a little bit of foundation. Now the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged Solomon, his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. And here's what he says. Here's his charge. Be strong. Everybody say, be strong. By the way, that's a great name for a men's ministry, men's movement. Be strong. Be strong. Say it again. Be strong. Therefore, and here's what he says. Prove yourself a man. This is New King James Version. The English Standard Version says, show yourself a man. The message paraphrase says, show what you're made of. I like that. The New Living Translation says, be a man. I like that. Pretty direct. The, the uh, NIV says, act like a man. Prove yourself a man. Show yourself a man. Show what you're made of. Be a man. Act like a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies. As, as it is written in the law of Moses that you notice when we are charged by God, charged to prove ourselves a man, show ourselves a man, show what we're made of, be a man, act like a man, here's, here's the reward from God that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. That, that the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning me saying, if your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth, everybody say truth, with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. In other words, David is saying, you, you won't lack legacy. Now, whenever I think about David, um, I think of the scripture that says that he was a man after God's own heart. One of the only people in the Bible that was said, God said that about. But he wasn't the best dad. He wasn't the best father. I mean, he messed up, right? He made a lot of mistakes. That's what the whole book of Psalms is about, is his mistakes, his laments, his repentances. Is that a word, repentances? Yeah, why not? But I like the fact that he is bold and confident in telling his son to be a man. You know, you say that today, and that's, that's ridiculed in our culture. That's called being toxic, is to be a man. Masculinity, strength, honor, leadership, humility, respect are all being challenged in the idea of manhood. Man, can I tell you a book that I, I believe every man should read right now? It's called Becoming a King. Phenomenal book. It's one of the best books I've read. 
It's like the, like the follow-up to Wild at Heart by, uh, by Eldridge. This, it's a fa- fantastic book. And it talks all about manhood. Did you ever think, dads, that you would have to sit down with your kids and explain to them that men couldn't get pregnant? Did you ever think you'd have to say that? Yeah, I mean, I never thought in a million years in our, that we'd have to have that conversation. Like, we'd have to fight that kind of fight. Or you'd have to sit down with your daughters and say, hey, listen, just want to let you know that you are going to compete in sports. You can play soccer. You can run. You can swim. However, there may be a guy that shows up that says he's a girl, but he's not really a girl. He's really a guy that's going to show up. He's going to try to get in your locker room, and he's going to try to keep, compete against you. He'll probably beat you, but it's okay. Did you ever think that would be in that position? Never. That's why it's so important to realize that all fathers matter. One of the verses that I spent a lot of time meditating on in the last two or three years is 1 Chronicles 12, 32, and it says, of the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times. Just a very short verse, just right out of 1 Chronicles. I tried my best to find out who Issachar was, like what was his relationship? I did studies. I mean, I have this software that you can read like 65 different commentaries. The only thing I could find out about Essachar is that his name meant wages and he was the ninth son of, the ninth son of Jacob. What's interesting though is we see his influence in the fact that he raised kids who understood the seasons and the times. He was able to transfer an ideology, an understanding I read a recent study by the Cultural Cultural Research Center that said 37% of pastors in the USA have a biblical worldview. Sad. Breaks my heart. Makes makes me as a pastor go, I need to get I need to get rolling. Like we need to make some because as so goes the pastor, so goes the family. I mean, if pastors aren't leading. If pastors aren't leading the way biblically, see, they've adopted what's called 63% of pastors have adopted what's called syncretism, which is a fancy word for watering down the gospel or another word for being woke. We're not woke at Freedom House Church. We are gonna tell you the truth. We're going to say what's necessary. We're going to start a school that's going to make a difference in kids' lives. We're going to preach the word every Sunday. We're going to challenge men to step up and do their God-given, commanded life. That We're going to challenge you. Well, you're not being kind. Okay, get over it. Let's go. Okay? So what is a worldview? A worldview is, and you have one. All of us have one. It's the way we see the world, the way we make judgments about life, and the way we answer the difficult questions. The way we see the world, the way we make judgments about life, and the way we answer the most, really the challenging questions of life. So what's a biblical worldview? Because I want to make sure that I have one. Okay, so what's a biblical worldview? Write this down. It's seeing the world through God's eyes. In other words, I may not know everything there is about God, I may be still learning, but what I do know, I'm going to filter life through that. Secondly, I'm going to make judgments about life with God's wisdom. There are two wisdoms in the world. There's God's wisdom and the world's wisdom. The Bible is very specific about that. So what is God's wisdom? It's applying God's knowledge to your situation. 
There's a whole book that's dedicated. Matter of fact, there's an Old Testament book and a New Testament book. The Old Testament book is the book of Proverbs. Isn't it interesting that God gave us 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs? One for every day of the, of the, of the, uh, of the year, of the, of the month. One for every day. And the, and the book of James is in the New Testament. James is the New Testament version of the book of Proverbs. Seeing the world through God's eyes, making judgments about life with God's wisdom, and answering the difficult questions without compromise using God's standard. Here's how Jesus uh, declared his relationship with his father. He said, he answered, he was talking to his disciples. He said, most assuredly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. In other words, God was making sure that he let his son know, hey, this is how you do life. This is how you practice. This is what I need you to accomplish. For the father loves the son and shows himself all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Paul made it very clear in 1 Corinthians 4. He said, you, you, you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. There, there is a vacuum of fatherhood in our nation. So let's step it up, guys. So what is the role of a father? What is a role? I wanna give you three things to help you today. Number one is that we need to be the guide of our family. We're to be the guard of our family, and we're to govern our family. Guide, guard, Govern. I'm sure you've heard that before. That was actually penned by Edwin Lewis Cole, one of the great leaders of the church. So you're equipped to guide, to guard, and govern. You're anointed by God to guide, to guard, to govern. Let me say it another way. When you don't guide, when you don't guard, when you don't govern, I believe God has a hard time anointing us. If you want more of God's power in your life, then guide, then guard, then govern. That's what you're equipped to do. You're called, if you're to guide, to be the prophet of your home. You're called, if you're to guard, to be the priest of your home. You're called, if you're to govern, to be the king of your home. So if I'm a guide, when you guide, you're the prophet. When you guard, you're the priest, you're the pastor, you're the shepherd. And when you govern, you're the king of your home. So what does it mean to guide? Be the prophet. It means to direct or have influence on the course of action. A good guide directs your course, especially when the, when the territory is unfamiliar. And you have to trust them, don't you? Even if you don't know them. 2020, one of my friends, uh, Pastor Luke Barnett, uh, was raising money. That's what the Barnets do. They are phenomenal money raisers. He was raising money for the Colorado Dream Center, which we just sent some ladies to, which is in FLDS country. Um, we were able to make a difference. They're making a difference um, of rescuing women out of that cult. And so he was raising money. He got this idea. He was going to hike from Utah down to Arizona on the Arizona Trail. It's like 800 and something miles. Him and his daughter, Anna Lee. Well, in the middle of the trek and his hiking, um, he was following his daughter down in this, this crevice area. And he saw his daughter put her hand on a rock and it started to slide. 
And so he immediately jumped, pushed his daughter aside, and this 8,000-pound boulder fell on his whole right side, broke his wrist, broke his hip, broke his leg. I mean, messed him up. His ribs, everything, just, just ripped down his whole right. Almost could have killed him. He's in the middle of nowhere. Well, you know, the Barnets are crazy. They're crazy. Like, so, you know, I, could, I knew he wanted to keep going, so I called him and said, hey, Luke, man, I, I know you want to keep doing this. I know you can't, so let me step in and take your place. Now, I did it before I really thought about it. You ever do that, guys? You ever do something and you go, why did I do that? I've never hiked before in my life. Now, I'm a pretty fit guy. Like, I stay in shape. I, you know, I do, I do what's necessary. Uh, my wife's a great cook. People tell me all the time, how do you eat her food? I said, I eat it, and then I work out. And then I eat it, and then I work out. That's what I do. That's how I, I stay as fit as I can. So I, I knew this was going to be difficult. I had no idea that this would be the most difficult thing I'd ever done in my life. So I get there, and the problem was when, I, when we started. So they would take you. They would drop you off at a certain point on the the trail, and you would do maybe 26 miles in a day. Well, when I get there, they tell me that, look, Anna Lee is going to lead you. The problem is Anna Lee, who's her, you know, their, their 20-year-old daughter, is the fastest hiker on the planet. She was a terrible guide, horrible guide. So we get there, and she's gone. I'm not kidding. She would be, by the end of the, the hike, she would be a mile and a half in front of me. I look, I'm like, Annalie, come on. But what they had done is they hired this guy named Michael, who was an experienced guide. And instead of going too fast ahead of me, he stayed behind me to make sure that I didn't die. <laughs> true story, true story. Okay, I'm not preaching right now. I'm telling the truth. <laughs> That's terrible right there. So on the second day, we were going up this, this mountain area. You had to go up, we had to go up 9,000 feet. So we were at about 4,000. No, maybe we were at about 2,000. We were going to go up to almost 11,000 feet, 10 or 11,000 feet. So we're going up this trek. And I'm thinking in my head, I got a 40-pound pack on my back. My feet are killing me. I got blisters on blisters. I think I grew an extra toe during that was just a blister. I'm thinking about halfway up. I'm thinking, if I just close my eyes and fall off the side here, they surely will not leave me there. They will pick me up. I'm, I'm, my brain is telling me, just, just roll off the side of the hill and just quit right now. Look, if it wasn't for Michael, I don't know if I would have I don't know if I'd be here today. He was a good guide. Men, are you a good guide? Are you a good guide to your family? Is church a priority or is it just a duty? Do people see your walk of faith? Do they see your convictions? Do those around you actually know that you're a believer? Or do you just blend right in with everybody else? How do you navigate seasons of anxiety or seasons of fear? When there's, when, do you lead when the questions are hard? See, I don't believe God is asking you to step into the office of a prophet, but to have a prophetic voice. There's a difference between the two. I don't think God's asking us to be Elijah or Elisha or John the Baptist. I think he's just saying, hey, listen, I'm gonna fill your mouth and then speak what I have to declare through you. Over your family, over your atmosphere, over your nation, 
over your church, over the people that you know. Just declare it. Just declare what I put in your mouth. I love what he said to Jeremiah in chapter one. He said, then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said, said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. In other words, you're not doing this by yourself, guys. You don't have to rely on your own strength. God's gonna fill your mouth if you'll just open it. See, I have this day put, set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Fathers, you don't have a choice. God picked you for such a time as this. What does it look like? What does it look like practically, okay? Honor God first, honor your wife second, and honor your kids third. That's the order. I like to just say it this way. Put God in the center of your life. And everything you do comes out of that relationship. Make time for your wife. Make time for your family. Make it a priority. Value your wife's opinion. I've said it, I'll say it again. My wife is the Holy Spirit embodied. I'm not saying she's the Holy Spirit, but she's dang close. I'm just saying, she's dang, she, she says stuff. I'm like, I don't believe you. Two weeks later, I believe her. Men, you're the solver, and your wife is the censor. They sense. That's their role. They, they sense. They sense things. They know things. They, they connect with things. My wife is right 99.8% of the time. I'm just being honest. i got to leave a little bit of room there. Just speak life. Walk in love. Lead by example. But listen, you're not doing this alone. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit will, will fill you up as you walk this out. Guide, be the prophet. Secondly, guard, be the priest, the pastor, the shepherd. If guiding is showing your family the path, then guarding is keeping them safe while they're on it. I love what Paul told Timothy. He said, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Um, I think it was like five or six Father's Day ago, we had a, a Navy SEAL by the name of Robert E. Cognac who came and I interviewed him. This guy was crazy, man. I've never, I've never sat down and talked to a Navy SEAL before. He was a part of SEAL Team 3, and he was intense. I mean, super intense. From, I met him in San Diego before, and I didn't realize how intense he was. But when we got together and we went out places, I could see the intensity that he walked in. Like, like we'd go to a restaurant, and I'd sit down. He goes, no, 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 I have to sit there. And he had to sit with his back to the wall, with his front looking everywhere. And he'd be looking at everything, walking. And I'd say, so what do you see right now? And he goes, well, I see that guy over there. He's probably got a gun in his back. I see that couple over there. They're arguing. I see that person over there. I see three exits. I see, I mean, like within two seconds. He told me stories about Afghanistan, stories about other people. He was one of the trainers. I mean, just, I mean, this guy was intense. You talk about a protector. He was a protector. He told me, he goes, Troy, I want to give you some advice. And when the Navy SEAL tells you he's going to give you some advice, you listen up. Now, I had no idea of the advice he was going to give me. But he said, listen, listen, listen. I just want to tell you right now. I want to tell you right now. Troy, listen to me. And when, when a Navy SEAL says to listen, because they can kill you right there on the spot. I mean, just dead. You disappear, just gone. He said, whenever you get on a plane, don't wear flip-flops. Now, I didn't think that that would be something he would say. And I'm looking back. Robert, why shouldn't I wear flip-flops? He goes, because if the plane crashes. Okay, first of all, when I get on a plane, I'm not thinking it's gonna crash. 
right? I'm not, that's not like my, Steve, that's not like my first, comp, I'm not gonna, hey, if this thing crashes, I better know what's going on here. No, I don't even really pay attention when they talk about put your life preserver on, listen to this. I'm already into my movie about 30 minutes into it. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not paying attention to that stuff because I'm not expecting it to crash. <laughs> Troy, don't wear flip-flops. Don't wear flip-flops. Robert, why shouldn't I wear flip-flops? Because if it crashes, you know, this big plane, all it is is a big gas tank. It'll just explode. And the flip-flops will melt to your feet. You won't be able to run. <laughs> wear shoes so you can run. For what, Robert? He goes, I don't know, just in case you need to run. He said, this is when all the TSA stuff was going on. He goes, he goes also, listen, listen, listen to me, Troy, listen. Troy. He goes, you know, you can't take weapons on the plane. He said, so make sure you wear socks and carry a pocket full of change because you can take that change out. You can put it in a sock, tie a knot in it, and you got yourself a weapon. <laughs> I mean, who thinks about this stuff? <laughs> He's a protector. He knows how to guard, doesn't he? Look, if, if I'm hanging out, on a trail, I'm going anywhere. I want Robert a cognac with me. Dad, you're called to guard, to be the shepherd of your flock. Know your flock. Know the enemy that's trying to attack your flock, your family, your church, your community, your neighborhood. You be the guard. You sit with your back to, to the wall and your front to the door. Don't wear flip-flops on the plane. Do what you need to do to run, like Robert said. First Peter chapter 5, be sober, which means it's, it's way more than not just not getting drunk. That's not the point of the word. It means to be self-controlled and alert. He says, be vigilant, which means to be watching alive. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We have an enemy that is seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Know your family. Know your family. Know your kids well. Know your wife well. Know what's going on. Know the state of your flock. Know what's going on in your family. Don't just let your wife handle all the social media and the Facebook. You get on their phones. You look at who they're hanging out with. One of the things I love about my wife early on before we had kids, we, we decided that we wanted to be the house where everybody came because we could watch everybody. That was the whole purpose. Our kids would get so mad at us because they, we wouldn't let them spend the night over at people's houses. Now, anybody could spend the night at our house because then I could be in control of what was going on. I didn't know what was going on. I knew that there was an enemy that wanted to take us out. There's an enemy that wants to take you out. You say, oh, that'll never happen to me. And then it happens and you realize, oh my gosh, I need to make sure that my head is on a swivel. Come on, look at your neighbor. Say, don't wear flip-flops. Don't wear flip-flops. Be on guard. You know, your kids are most influenced by the people they hang out with. So guard. Remember, you're not their friend, you're their parent. You're, you're their parent. Sure, they're not gonna lie. They might not like you. They might even unfollow you on social media. Hello? 
I felt the pain. I mean, the kids that I've raised in the church, they unfollow me. I'm like, what in the heck's going on? Because I'm not called to be their friend. I'm called to be their parent, to help them, lead them, guard them. I've been there. I faced the enemy a few times. I, I have an experience. You have an experience. And so, so walk that out. Who they're hanging out, inspect often their friends. My girls are here, and um, I made all the guys, they knew this. This was kind of like their deal. They weren't supposed to date until they got, all my kids, they weren't allowed to date until they got out of high school. Now, people tell me, all that, that's way strict. Yeah, but you're not going to get married in high school, so what's the purpose of dating? Right? I mean, what's the purpose? Well, you're 15 years old. You ain't getting married. You can't even drive yet. Why do you need a boyfriend? Well, you know, everybody else. Who cares what everybody else is doing? Your, your job is to protect them. God's not going to hold you accountable for somebody else's kids. So you step up. Do it. Well, they don't like that. Well, too bad. You know, they live in your house, using your electricity, drinking your water, eating your food. Well, they're going to run in their room. Well, then take the door off the hinges. It's your door. You can do what you want to with it. Thank you, parents. I'm an empty nester now. They're gone now. I've done my work. Okay, so. Um, but I would make their, their potential boyfriends meet with us, meet with me, you know. And part of the reasons I work out is I want to intimidate them a little bit. <laughs> and my, my girls would always say, Dad, you know, you, uh, they're afraid of you. And I'm like, good. I want them to be afraid of me. Seriously, I want them to be, you know, just like a little scared when they're sitting down with me, a little intimidated, a little nervous, because, you know, I could kill them, raise them back from the dead, because I got that kind of faith, but, you know, and then kill them again, raise them back from the dead. Whatever it takes just to make them know I'm in charge right now. <laughs> Let me give you another baseball analogy, and then I'll move to the last one. One of the most dangerous moments in a baseball game is when runners are in running position. They're in scoring position on second and third base because the, the defense is on high alert, specifically the, the catcher. The catcher has to know exactly what's going on. He's kind of controlled because he can see everything that's going on out in the field. All the other players are facing one direction. The catcher is the only one that's facing the other direction. And so their job is to watch and make sure. And their job is to guard home plate, right? That's their job, guard home plate. So there's a man on second, a man on third. If there's a base hit, this is what the catcher does. The catcher steps out in front of the plate because his job is to protect the plate. Now, the problem with being the catcher is you know that you're probably going to get hit. You're, you know you're going to get trampled down, and you are to remain in your position regardless. And you can't even watch who's coming at you. You need to watch where the ball is because it's going to be coming to you potentially so you can get the guy out. So the guy on second, the guy on third is running right at you, but you can't even look knowing you're probably going to get knocked down. Your job is to protect. That's what a dad does. Your job is to step in front of home plate, protect it, watch for the ball, watch Jesus regardless of the enemy coming around because you know you might get knocked down, but get right back up again. You might, you might get taken out, step right back up again. That's your job is to protect. You're the catcher. <laughs> Guide, be the prophet. Guard, be the priest. Thirdly, govern, be the king. 
If guiding is showing the path, guarding is keeping them safe on the path, then governing is the cover that holds them both together. In other words, it's walking in the authority that Jesus gave you. And every person in this room, you have authority. Come on, point at yourself and say, I have authority. I have authority. If you're a son or a daughter of God, you have authority. Because you're under Jesus, you have authority. Luke 10 says, behold, I, this is Jesus talking to you, behold, I give you authority, authority. Matthew chapter 28, and Jesus came and spoke to them and said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, understood, in the authority that you have and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You have authority. Now, authority is not domineering. This is my house, woman. You need to listen to me. That won't last. That, if I ever did that, I'd be dead. <laughs> probably not get raised up either. I'd probably just be dead, just gone. Where did Pastor Troy go? Oh, Pastor Benny killed him. <laughs> that's not gonna happen because that's not how it's supposed to work. It's not supposed to be a dominating thing. That's an insecure way to lead. It's a partnership. We have a partnership. She's my helpmate. Now, her desire, because I'm created this way, is to lead the way. And, and husbands, that's what your wife really wants, but not in a domineering, it's the law, it's my way or the highway. It's a, let's do this together. When it comes down to it, I'm the one that's ultimately responsible for, for our family, but I wanna do this with you. I need your sensing as I solve. I need your sensing as I solve. I need your emotion as I walk this out. As, as, I, as, I, as we work this out together, I need your help in doing this. So what makes a good king? A good king understands his kingdom. Understands the, I like what Dallas Willard says about your kingdom. Your kingdom is anywhere your will is established. Your will is established. So what makes a good king? A good king is centered and decisive. Centered and decisive. A good king keeps his word. I'll be there for your football game, you be there for the football game. I'll be there for the daddy-daughter dance, you be there for the daddy-daughter dance. Whatever you need to do. If you need me to change your flight, you need to get there. I'll be there. We're gonna go to church today. We're gonna go to church every Sunday. So I'll be the first one awake. I'll be waiting in the car. One honk, hurry up. Two honks, I'm gone. Hello, I did it a few times. Just ask my wife, I did it. I left her one time, one time. She knew, now, now it's time. You can just get in the car, let's go. Keep your word. A good king acts with honesty. You're honest. A good king takes responsibility. You don't ever blame. Don't ever be the victim. You take responsibility. This is my house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. A good king is who he says he is. Not just on Sunday, but at the poker game on Thursday. Same person. A good king protects his domain. A good king provides order. A good king corrects, but doesn't condemn. A good king leaves a legacy. A good king is repentive. A good king is vulnerable. So I wanna ask the fathers today, would you stand with me? I wanna just declare something over you. Just stand on your feet. 
all the dads in the house. One more time, can we just give them a big hand? It's tough to be a dad right now. It's tough being a dad. I want to ask also the men that are here, if you're a man, stand up on your feet. Stand up on your feet, because I want to declare this over you too. I want you to understand, I am the father of this house. And so what I'm going to do is declare over the sons in this house. To declare into your life that you are the guiding light of your family. You are the guide. You are the prophet. Matter of fact, put your hand right on your chest right now. And just say, I am the guide. I am the prophetic voice. Say, I am the guard. I am the priest of my home. Say, I am the, the king. I will govern my kingdom. Now just close your eyes. I want to pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I just thank you for the anointing of God that will rest upon each one of these men, each one of these fathers. Lord, I thank you that the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit will solidify this word in their heart, God. And as they walk out of this building, they will be confident, head held high, chest out, knowing that, God, you have called them for such a time as this to be the man, to be the head of the household, to be the father, to be the dad, to be the friend, to be the husband, to be the leader that you've called them to be. In Jesus' name. Would the rest of you please stand with me? In order to be a, a great dad, a great father, a great wife, a great daughter, you need to understand that, that you are a daughter. You are a son of the king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And sometimes we forget that. We lose our sonship. We lose our daughtership. We, we don't recognize the value of our relationship with God. Maybe, maybe we lose it. Maybe we walk away from it. Maybe we just set it down. Because of stuff, life, things that go on and happen. Maybe because we don't even have a good example. I grew up without a dad. My grandfather did the best job he could. I was always searching for a father in my life. My mom would bring home men all the time, and I would attach myself, and then they would leave. And it was hard. So then when I got married, I thought maybe, I, you know, my pastor in Richmond, you know, I thought maybe he would help me be the father, and he was, you know, he struggled with his own problems. I got disappointed, and so I ended up having to really connect with my heavenly father in order to get the understanding of what it looks like to be a good dad. But it took me learning how to be a good son first before I could be a good dad. And so I want to ask you today, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today, and maybe you've never felt that before, what it means to be a good son, a good daughter. Maybe you did it one time, but you know you're not living a life that's pleasing to God. You know, you can change today. You can make a decision right now. Say, God, I want you to come into my life afresh. I want, I want you to, I want to recommit. I want to press the reset button and start all over. If that's you, I want to pray for you today. And I want to know who I'm praying for. So if that's you, I'm going to count to three. When I get to three, because I know you're contemplating, should I do this? Yes, you should. Yes, you should make this decision. Don't wait till tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. Don't do what a lot of people do. And they say, well, well, you know, I need to get my life together. No, no, no. Just do it. He'll work it out. He'll work it out. Ready? One, two, three. Just raise your hand. You say, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love all these bold people. Just keep your hand up. 
We're gonna make, we're gonna make a declaration. If you raised your hand all, all over the room, if you raised your hand, look, if you're online in North Carolina and Virginia and Georgia and New York, look, right in your living room, just raise your hand. Right in your hotel room, just raise your hand. Make a declaration between you and God. And I'm gonna give my life to Jesus. I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna be the son, the daughter that you've called me to be. If you raised your hand, you wanted to raise your hand. Let's pray this out loud. Church family, would you join with them as they make this declaration over their life? Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe and by faith I accept the blood of Jesus to wash away all my mistakes, all my pain, all my shame, all my guilt. Today, Lord, I give you my life. I will follow you. Thank you, Jesus, for being raised from the dead so I could begin a brand new life that starts right now. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Come on, give God a big hand clap. Happy Father's Day. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.